Good morning, everybody. Good to see you guys today. How's it going? So a lot of people come up to me, Pastor Jake, are you okay? You know, after the, the Ducks lost last night, I'm good. And I, I don't think I'd run or trade places with Washington, you know. Huskies endure for the night, but joy comes in the morning. Come on. And uh, we're going to get them in the, in the Pac-12 title game. Come on, Ducks. Here we go. But honestly, how can you be sad when you get to wake up on Sunday and go to church and be here with God's people, with you guys, us together, worshiping the Lord, being in his presence? It's an awesome day. Even losing a football game, it just pales in comparison to being a winner in the kingdom of God, right? And I'm so excited to be here with everybody today. And uh, man, I'm excited about this new series that we're moving into called Mind Games. Now, I don't know about you. Uh, if you grew up with anybody in your family that played mind games, but if you had siblings, there was always mind games. I grew up with a dad who, you know, is a wonderful dad, but definitely played some mind games. He was like, I was six, seven, eight years old. And he's like, we're going to teach you how to play chess. And we were always playing chess, whether there was a chess board or not. Chess was being played. Come on. And uh, so I might have a little uh, leg up here on talking about mind games. But as we talk about this, what we're really looking at is how to win against fear, anxiety, worry, depression, discouragement. Uh, and, and have our thoughts fixed upon the Lord and actually have the peace that Jesus promises us. Uh, this is a, a huge deal. I don't know about you, but there's a lot of worrying, anxious things happening in the world around us, right? I woke up the other day. I, you know, did my Wordle word. Got any Wordlers in the house? Come on. Yeah, that causes anxiety, doesn't it? And uh, I did my Wordle word and then I'm looking at the news and I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, everything going on in the world. And, and I go, Bethany, I don't think uh, seeing dead bodies before 7 a.m. is really like the best thing for mental health. And uh, obviously a lot of things going on in the world that can, can create or, or causing anxious moments. Um, but it's interesting because as Christians, you know, we, we are given the tools that we need in the scripture and by the power of the Holy Spirit to not be anxious people. I believe that if you're a follower of Jesus, it's not that you're just going to go to heaven when you die, but heaven wants to come and invade your life here and now. That peace can rule in your life. That uh, God's joy can rule in your life, not, not, uh, not because of your circumstances, but in spite of them. That even when you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, even when you walk through times of grief and trouble and sorrow, and whether that's in your own life or in the world around you, that you're not a victim of your circumstances, but rather victorious living out who God's called you to be and having peace. So in John 14, Jesus actually says this directly. John 14, 27, he says, I am leaving you with a gift. How many of you know if Jesus wants to give you a present, there's only one appropriate answer. Yes, thank you. He says, I want to give you a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. We live in a society that is more anxious and more worried than ever before, or at least in measurable times we can measure, and yet has more tools that are provided to us in terms of books and therapy and ideas and all these kinds of things. And yet what happens is we see a world that is obsessed with peace, and yet peace is at such a high premium. And what Jesus tells us is that he's not going to give us coping mechanisms, he's rather going to give us victory mechanisms. And the gift of peace, not just of uh, your mind, but also of your heart, which is speaking to what? Your thoughts, but also your emotional inner life that Jesus wants to give us victory, give us peace in these areas. And he gives us an explicit command because of the peace that he will give us that only comes from him and does not come from the world. Do not be troubled. Do not be afraid. 
As we, as we go into this series, we're going to be examining how God changes us and transforms us by changing the way that we think. As it says in Romans 12, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by what? Changing the way that you think. Another translation says, by the renewing of your mind. When God gets a hold of your thought life and begins to change how you think and begins to change how you perceive things with your thoughts and what you think about and what you sort of meditate on, he can change who you are as a person. Then you learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. So we're going to dive in in this series. And today I want to give you the the tools of the trade. How many of you know uh, in any kind of project that you're doing, having the right tool is really important? Now, I am not historically a handy person. Um, typically, I can, you know, I can write a song. Uh, I, I've written a poem. You know, Bethany mentioned that a couple weeks ago. So if you want me to create something with words, I can do that, right? Uh, but when it comes to, like, fixing stuff, I'm just, I'm dumb, you know? The other day, and also I'm not handy. Like, I'm not physically very dexterous. The other day, I was trying to make a sandwich, and Bethany's like, do you want me to go ahead and do that for you? And she's like, you're not doing it very well, you know? I don't know what else was said. I was like, you're right. The bread's smashed, the peanut butter's like going through to the other side. There's too much jelly, like things are just not going well. And uh, anyways, I used to not be very handy, but recently I've kind of started to take on some projects around the house. How many of you know that poverty is a wonderful teacher, right? <laughs> it's like we bought our house a couple years ago and, and, and uh, got it when the market was still, you know, decent. And, but we kind of spent everything that we had to get this house. And, and then we discovered home ownership isn't just all sunshine and roses, right? And the plumbing wasn't working very well. And there were some different issues with faucets and things. So I decided to, you know, channel my inner Mar- Mario and uh, become a plumber. I'm Italian, so I figured I'm close. And I start fixing some stuff, and I actually did pretty good. I fixed some faucets, I fixed a shower, and I was feeling really good about myself and my, my handyman skills. And then my father-in-law and mother-in-law came and uh, stayed at our house. Bethany and I were gone for the weekend, and they came to watch our kids. And just to give you some context, my father-in-law, he's in heaven now, but he, he, his business was called Dave's Mr. Fix-It. So Bethany's dad is like the most handyman you've ever met. He actually came to our house one, one time and fixed our dishwasher with bubble gum and a a pop, gun, a pop can that he cut, literally, and it never broke. Like, he's a genius of fixing things. And so Dave comes over, and, and I get, we get back from our trip, and he goes, hey, you know that plumbing job you did? And I was like, yeah. And I thought, I'm going to get some major kudos. And he's like, it exploded. <laughs> so while we were gone, the pipe had burst and was shooting out of the wall, and Dave had to go figure out how to get the water main shut off, and he repaired it. And uh, how many of you know it's not what you know, it's who you know, right? Little did he know I was playing mind games, chess, not checkers. And I had set up this scenario to let Dave come and fix my plumbing. How many of you think I'm lying through my teeth right now? No, I was doing my best and I totally failed. But I didn't really have the right tools. And he goes, you needed this this socket, you know, this certain tool to do this job correctly. And I was like, oh, (laughs) okay. (laughs) A couple uh, months ago, my alternator went out in my little Ford pickup. And I decided that... Uh, rather than, you know, contribute to the economy of Lane County, I was going to fix it myself. So I get in there and I, I end up trying to get this alternator out and I break multiple socket wrenches. And of course, what I thought is like, well, I mean, yeah, I'm He-Man. I mean, you know, you know, and then Mark Harpam goes, Jake, you, you shouldn't buy your socket wrenches at Harbor Freight. <laughs> I was like, I didn't. I did, actually. 
And uh, Kyle goes, you should use a breaker bar. And I was like, a breaker what? And he said, yeah, there's this tool that will allow you to actually get into these, these uh, uh, tight bolts or whatever. And so I got, he let me borrow the tool. And right away, boom, the right tool for the job. And I got my alternator replaced. Come on. Pretty exciting. Oh, oh, I get my man card back. Yeah. So many people are approaching the task, the project of dealing with an anxious world, missing the tools that are available to us right in the scripture. Um, in our culture, we, we have a tremendous amount of anxiety, worry, depression, fear, leading to a litany of coping mechanisms. And I'm not going to criticize the coping mechanisms. I'd just like to give you an upgraded approach. Uh, today, I believe that if we will allow our hearts to be transformed, allow our thoughts to be transformed, that God provides to us the tools to win in this area. In Philippians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul writes this beautiful letter to the church in Philippi, and it's one of his letters that is so rich with encouragement. It's one of the most hopeful, joy-filled, encouraging uh, passages of Scripture. And it's interesting because he actually writes these words from prison. And we'll talk about this in a second. But Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, he says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. Another translation says a peace that passes all understanding. His peace will guard, guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me, everything you heard from me and saw me doing. Then the God of peace will be with you. Now, this is an incredibly encouraging passage of scripture. And it's, it's interesting to me too because it's very pragmatic. It's actually saying, if then, if you do this, if you receive this, then you're going to get this result, okay? Now, what's interesting about this is Paul gives us this beautiful imagery of God's peace. It goes beyond what we can understand. It's, it's not just the circumstances aren't different, but you're different. There's a peace in you. Uh, you don't have to worry. Uh, God's peace guards your heart and mind. This is a beautiful thing. Paul is writing this from a Roman prison. At some period in the very near future, he will actually be beheaded. He will be martyred for his faith. He knows that his doom is approaching, and yet he exhibits this beautiful peace that passes all understanding. In other words, it does not make sense. When you're about ready to, to have your head chopped off is not a time when you're like, everything's great. You know, Most people would be under the gun here, under the, 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 the headman, you know, the, the axe, under the, the, this, this pressure that he's under and panicking and freaking out and having real anxiety and worry. And yet Paul says, hey, you don't need to worry about anything. Uh, you don't need to be under this. This is what you need to do. You pray about it. You tell God what you need and you thank him. Keep your thoughts fixed on what is good and pure, so on and so forth. And so he gives us in this passage some incredible tools, the right tools for the job, how to beat anxiety, how to beat fear, how to beat worry. So let's talk about those today. Number one, it's so important that we learn to rule your thought life. Rule your thought life. And I choose this word carefully because this word rule is not saying cope. It's not saying survive your thoughts. Uh, withstand the pressure of your thoughts. It's saying you can be empowered to be in charge. 
to, to understand that your thoughts are not just happening to you and you're not a victim of the, the anxiety and the worry. You see, we live in a culture in which anxiety and worry have now become an identity that people take into themselves. Now, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get a little real with this. You know, we live in a culture in which some people, it almost as if they are proud to be so anxious that they can't go to social environments or whatever and live under fear. And yet, we actually statistically live in a very safe time in history. I mean, I want you to think about Christians throughout the ages who have been actually in physically dangerous uh, and times where you could, you know, starve to death. Like when Jesus and his disciples were praying for bread every day, that was because it wasn't a sure thing. I complain about what I get to eat. I'm never afraid that I get to eat. Okay, now I'm sure there are people in the world that are at this level, but not us. That we live in a time that statistically is actually pretty safe. We get in a car and you put on a seatbelt. You have airbags. Literally balloons pop out and save your life when you get in an accident. I mean, even as far back as when I was growing up in the 80s, you know, my parents would just toss us in the back of a station wagon. They'd have a Jimmy Rig Nintendo plugged in back there. You know what I mean? And man, if you got in a car accident, it was going to be Red Highway. You know what I'm saying? Sorry, that was a little much for some people. It's okay. We'll, we'll move on. But yet people in our day and age are so anxious, even though we have all of these safety measures and all these kinds of things. I mean, think about a monk or some Christian living on the, the, the uh, eastern coast of England or Ireland or Scotland circa like, you know, eight or 900 AD. And, you know, you, all you had to worry about was like some crazy Viking taking a canoe over to kill you. You know what I mean? And like literally living under this. And yet Christians throughout history have been able to live by this statement, don't be anxious, do not worry, don't allow your thoughts to rule you, you rule over them. Now here's the deal, if it, if it isn't possible, it wouldn't be written in the scripture. So we have to, we have to take up an empowered mindset and say, okay, if, if God's word is telling me, do not worry as an imperative, as a command, if he's saying do not be anxious, then it's possible that even in the face of things that would cause anxiety normally, to not be and Jesus says pretty much the exact same thing in Matthew chapter 6. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. Here's the reality. Your thoughts are not happening to you. You can be in control. You can be equipped. You can be empowered to rule your thought life. And if you can rule your thoughts, you can rule your emotions. You can rule your state of mind. You can have more pressure from the inside pushing out than pressure from the outside pushing in. One of the things we talk about is this, that pressure is outside of your control, but stress is a choice. Pressure is what's happening. Stress is a choice. So how many of you would say, oh, this is just so stressful, right? Like I say this sometimes, you know, watching the ducks and the huskies going back and forth, like it's so <laughs> stressful. Actually, what's taking place is there is external pressure. I choose to be stressed, okay? When you allow God's peace to rule your thoughts and rule your emotions, his peace actively resists the pressure from the outside and you don't have to be stressed. If you can rule your thoughts, you can control your emotions, Isaiah chapter 26, verse 3 says this, You will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. What does this mean? It means keeping our affection, our allegiance, our attention, our thoughts, our focus on God. Not allowing our thoughts to go to the left or to the right, but staying focused on Him. 
And how do we do this practically? Well, those thoughts that come to us, the thoughts of anxiety, worry, fear, what's going on in Israel, what's going on in Ukraine, what's going on in uh, Washington State, what's going on over here, those thoughts that come in and try to go through your brain, or is my husband doing this, or is my wife doing this, or my kids, or whatever, the fear, the anxiety, all that stuff that we battle with on a, on a, a regular basis, when those thoughts want to run rampant in our head, we've got to arrest them, catch them, okay? So when a thought of anxiety, or fear, or worry, or depression tries to dominate your mind, you need to now instead dominate it. And here's how you do it. Three things. One, review it. Two, refuse it. And three, replace it. Review it, refuse it, replace it. Okay, this is going to be a big upgrade for many people here today. God's going to use this to bring some freedom in your life. When an anxious thought comes your direction, you're reading Twitter, you get an anxious thought. What if we're, what happens with this war or what's going on here or what's going to happen in my family? You review it and you say, is this God speaking this to me? Is this in alignment with God's will for my life? Is this in alignment with what God says over me? Maybe if all you ever think about is what a failure you are, is that God speaking that to you or is that an, an anxious thought or some other thought coming from another source? And you review it in alignment with God's word. Does this thought align with God's word? Does it align with his will? Does it align with what God says about me and over me? And most of the time, it does not. And if you review it and it doesn't line up with what God is speaking, then you refuse it. You don't have to let a thought run rampant in your brain. Okay? Again, you're not a victim. You are victorious in Christ. When you belong to Jesus, you have the authority even just emotionally and mentally, to say, that is not from God. I am sitting here worried about, you know, my children dying, or I'm worried about getting shot, or I'm worried about the shot, or I'm worried about whatever. And I'm don't, I don't have to sit here and let anxiety take my lunch money like a bully. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. So I review that thought, and I refuse that thought. Sorry, no shoes, no shirt, no service, Right? You don't, get to, you don't get to run through here. But that's not enough. Then we need to replace it, okay? We need to replace it. Listen to what Paul says in verse 8 of Philippians 4. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix, right? Fix or focus your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Probably the greatest breakdown in our culture is we now live in an age in which all information is accessible all the time. You think about 200 years ago, you know, you, you would have regular fears and worries. You know, farmer's wife wakes up in the morning, well, I hope Earl milked the cows today, you know. I sure hope farmer, farmer James uh, goats don't get out, whatever. You know, maybe the, oh no, does Sally uh, love Jimmy over at the local, you know, dance or something. I, like it would be pretty local uh, fears and worries, right? But today, you, you literally wake up in the morning and you can find out who doesn't like each other somewhere in another part of the world. You know what I'm talking about? You have all this anxiety like, oh my gosh, are the Chiefs going to get messed up because now Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey are dating? Like people are worried about stuff. <laughs> Normally you wouldn't even know, right? I just unlocked some new fears for some people right there, you know? People, we all know the 49ers are going to win the Super Bowl, so it's all good. Let's go. You might have woken up one day and you're like, oh my gosh, there really are Seahawks fans? Yeah, it's true. There we go. <laughs> there he is. 
But we live in an age in which all information and everything is accessible and all of a sudden it creates anxiety. Does anybody else like read the news and you're like, oh my gosh, we're going down. <laughs> World War III. People, you know, right now there's articles like World War III. And I'm like, World War III? You know, and it's scary. If you go back a couple hundred years, that didn't even exist. So we, we have to be intentional about actually having a gate that isn't just an open swinging gate of our thoughts and what we allow in. There are things that are outside of your control. And you know what? Most stuff. And so you, you make a decision and it's not delusional to say, I trust God with my waking and my sleeping, my eating and my breathing. I trust God with my family. I trust God. And I'm not going to allow anxious thoughts to rule me. I'm going to review, refuse, and I'm going to replace. And I'm going to put my mind on things that are admirable and true and honorable and right. And I'm just going to give you a hint here. Most of these things are going to be a lot closer to you than worrying about things that exist on another continent. Because see, there's something beautiful about going, you know what, today I'm going to fix my thoughts on going to the house of God, worshiping God with everything I've got, with my brothers and sisters, serving the people that I live with, making a difference in my neighborhood. Rather than trying to save the world, I'm actually going to love my neighbor. I'm going to focus on growing in God, getting in the word. I'm going to get his word into me and I'm going to replace all the negativity with what God is actually saying and doing, not in the world, in your world. See, it says in the scripture, God so loved the world that he gave his only son. It's God's job to love the world. It's our job to love our neighbor. Many, of the time, many times as Christians, it's far easier to be like, well, we just care about what's happening in this other country. What Do we care about what's happening in our community? And are we investing there? Okay, So we replace these thoughts of negativity, anxiety. You can't just refuse and re- review and refuse. You got to also replace with some good content, some good programming up there in your brain. Okay, number two, make prayer your first response, not your last resort. I love what Paul says, because it's really two things here. He says, don't worry about anything. This is not a suggestion. This is, like, this is an imperative. Like when Jesus says, do not be anxious about anything. Paul's re- repeating that. He's saying, don't worry about anything. What is worry? Worry is simply faith and trust in reverse. I don't trust God. I don't trust God with my future. I don't trust God with my family. So I'm going to borrow fear from the future of something that may or may not happen. Right? Some people get in car accidents. People do get sick. These bad things happen. Whether you are afraid of it or not is irrelevant to the point if it does or not. Okay? So I'm borrowing it from the future. Taking fear today and worry today is basically taking the pain and suffering of an event that might not happen to you and probably will not happen to you and experiencing it today. It's a terrible idea. It's faith in reverse. Faith is saying, I'm going to take God's peace and his goodness today, even in light of the fact that bad things could happen in the future. And I will walk in the joy of the Lord right now, even in the midst of potentially bad circumstances, Worry and fear turns that upside down and does it in a negative sense. Why would we want to do this? Worry doesn't add anything to your life. Even Jesus said, can worry add a single day to your life? No, it can't. So let's talk about prayer. Paul says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Well, why is he saying pray about everything? Is it because every single thing is is wrong and bad and we need to pray and ask God to change it? No, no. See, prayer biblically is about communication and relationship with God. 
Prayer isn't just like, okay, what's wrong with my life? Dear Jesus, would you just please help the Huskies lose every game and the Ducks win? Like, no, that's a good prayer. Feel free to pray it. But no, biblical prayer is relationship with God. It's existing in a state of being in which you're in open communication with the Father. And it's about inviting God into our lives to take a larger place in our life and in our day-to-day living and breathing and, and working and loving It's saying, God, come and take residence here in me and around me and with me. God, don't just change my circumstances, change me. Prayer is about relationship, okay? In the context of marriage, communication is everything, right? Husband and a wife, almost all of the the marriage issues that go on whenever we do counseling, it's almost always a communication problem, right? That is like 95% of it. I would say that in our spiritual life, our communication with God both the, what we say to him, but probably even more important, what we hear from him. And this interactive dynamic relationship, it's everything. And that's what prayer is. Prayer is communicating with God. It's pouring out our heart and our soul to him, saying, this is what I'm going through. You know, when you pray a prayer like the psalmist and just say, God, I'm in trouble. I'm having a hard time. You're, that's prayer, right? Some, sometimes I think we think that prayer is, is about saying things in a religious way. A lot of the best prayers are like, God, I'm not doing good. Help me right? It's not about religious language, but it's inviting God into our circumstances, inviting him to take a bigger role. It's acknowledging what we're going through, not denying it. And then it's, it's telling God what we need. It says, don't worry, instead pray. In other words, worry is meaningless. Prayer has substance. Worry is vacuous. It's empty. It does nothing. It is a pointless exercise. Prayer in juxtaposition, is rather a a substantive activity to engage in. It's interesting because people that don't know God often see prayer as a meaningless exercise, and then they worry a bunch, whereas I feel that worry is a completely pointless exercise and prayer is substantive. Like when I get on my knees and I begin to talk to the creator of heaven and earth, sometimes he doesn't move in accordance to my will, In, in, in actuality almost never. But I always grow and have more peace and more joy in him and connected to what the creator of heaven and earth is doing and what he's up to. Just his proximity to me is better than anything else. Come on. Prayer is substantive always. So asking God, what, what, uh, praying about everything, tell him what we need, and then thank him for all that he's done. Prayer is not a delusional response if there's a God. It's the most important thing. If you believe that God exists, if you believe in Jesus, then prayer is the most rational response available because we're saying, God, come and take a larger role in what is happening right now. I'm going to, in a couple weeks, talk about the Lord's Prayer, where it starts with, Father, let your name be kept holy. And then the second part of the prayer is this, let your kingdom come. When we pray, let your kingdom come, we're saying, God, where, what, what it would be like if you were in charge, please let that show up where I am. Let, let heaven invade. Let heaven show up here in my circumstances and around me. Okay, so that second one is this. Prayer, your first response, not your last resort. Worry cannot add a single day. Worry cannot move the needle. The only thing you can do in the face of fear and anxiety is pray and invite God into that moment. Okay, number three. Unleash the power of praise. Unleash the power of praise. Pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Praise is so powerful. Worship is so powerful. Gratitude, thanksgiving, this is an attitude shift, right? Saying, God, I'm gonna exist in this state of gratitude and thankfulness. 
Listen, guys, it is impossible to be fully activated in worshiping and praising God and be depressed and discouraged and fearful at the same time. Those two things cannot coexist like oil and water. If you are depressed, if you are discouraged, if your thought life is ruled by fear and anxiety, if the devil is stealing your lunch money and you're always consumed with worry and fear, I'm going to guarantee you that you do not have an activated prayer and worship life because those two things do not coexist. Now, do people that love Jesus and praise and worship ever feel fear, anxiety, and worry? Yes, but not at the same time. Because I'm just telling you right now, when you're fully in praise and worship, depression, discouragement cannot exist. When I was growing up in the church, I'm a church kid, I'm a pastor's kid, and I grew up in the church, and I had opportunity to interact with some wonderful saints of old, you know, different men and women of God that have been serving Jesus for a long time. And, you know, I I personally prefer to hear from people that have actually like been there and done that. You know what I mean? And as a young person, I would be around some of these older saints and especially the old, old dudes, you know, there was old dudes in the faith and they would always be talking tough to us young, young pups, you know, and I remember being in sessions in Bible college and guys like George uh, Evans and Leonard Fox and different preachers would be coaching us up and they'd say, you know, young man, you're, you're going to go through, you want to be in the ministry? Yes. Yes. Well, you know, if you're going to be in the ministry, you're going to go through fearful times. You're going to go through hard times. You're going to go through setbacks and sorrows. And I'm like, uh, maybe I'm going to go into business, you know? (laughs) You're you're going to go through the ringer and you're going to go through stuff. But listen, you know, what you do is when you're down, yeah, what do I do? You go in your room. Oh man, you can teach me a secret. You, You go in there and you get alone with the Lord. Okay. Okay. And then you dance. It's like George Patton telling you the secret to victory is dancing. You know what I'm saying? No, no, no. Like I go in there and I like say the secret words, right? No, no. They say, when you are down, when you're discouraged, you go in your room, you turn on your praise music and you dance before the Lord. And these are like tough, old, salty dudes telling me this. And in my mind, I'm thinking about Kevin Bacon and Footloose. You know what I mean? And he just... That's not cool. You know what I'm saying? It's not manly. It's not cool. It's not. But there's something about people that have walked with the Lord. They actually understand that what I'm talking about is true, that worship and praise, especially praise unleashed where you don't care about how stupid you look, you can't simultaneously be bummed out and worshiping God fully. So I was like, okay, I'm going to try this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it. So I go in my room. I'm bummed out. I'm like down in the dumps, you know, I'm like, uh. Everything sucks. Nope. Nope. Do you ever experience embarrassment even when you're all by yourself? So, uh, so bummed out. Turn on this delirious music, you know. All of a sudden, I begin to smile because when you're being stupid, You can't be arrogant, prideful, and bummed out. And I began to say, okay, Lord, I'm going to choose to worship you. And in those moments of discouragement and depression, I'm not even going to like let my pride keep me down. Come on, I'm going to begin to bounce a little bit. I'm going to begin to jump. I'm going to begin to dance like David danced before the Lord. Come on, I'm going to get my praise up and I'm going to begin to worship him, the God of heaven and earth. 
I don't care what anybody thinks about me. I don't care what I think about me right here because I'm broken, but you're making me brand new. And all of a sudden in that place of worship, when you begin to get free in your spirit and maybe move your body a little bit and begin to dance, all of a sudden depression and discouragement and fear and anxiety and worry melt away like wax before the light of the sun. Come on, somebody. And listen, you might be thinking, well, that just sounds so stupid. Try it. You see, I don't think our problem is that we're too exuberant in praise. I think our problem is we're too caught up in what we're afraid of. And there's something about getting free before the Lord and beginning to worship and beginning to dance and just throw off the chains of fear and anxiety. And when you're fully worshiping God, and when I say fully worshiping God, I mean like with your body, because you know your body and your soul and your spirit are all connected. We got people going, well, what you need is more pills. No, what you need is more praise. Well, you need to talk to another therapist. No, you need to talk to the great physician. And I'm just telling you right now, I'm not throwing shade at pills and psychiatrists and all that kind of stuff. I'm just telling you right now, a lot of people would need a lot less intervention from humans if they got some more from heaven. Do I need to say that again? Come on. A lot of people would need a lot less intervention from humans if they had more from heaven. And so when we begin to praise God and we begin to worship fully, he breaks chains off our life and fear and anxiety and worry melt away. One last story in Acts chapter 16, Paul and his partner Silas, they're in prison. And in this particular example in Acts chapter 16, they're put by this jailer in this inner dungeon. And literally, we know where this prison's at. They've looked at this. And when they were there in this prison, the way they were in prison was they'd be laid flat on their back and they'd be shackled with their hands up above their head but laying flat on their back and their feet in the stocks. So I want you to imagine, like, you don't get a bathroom break, so you're laying in your own filth, you're chained to the floor, humiliating, debilitating, it's a terrible situation. In Acts chapter 16, around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns. They were fighting their circumstances with the weapons of their warfare in praise and worship, and they're singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners are listening. Suddenly, there's a massive earthquake, and the prison is shaken to its foundations. All the doors immediately fly open, and the chains of every prisoner fell off. Praise invites the presence of God, and when God shows up, everything else has to go. It's not complicated. When God shows up, In your situation, in your fear, in your depression, in your worry, in your anxiety, a greater force shows up. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. It's not an unstoppable force and an immovable object. It's just an unstoppable force and a very movable amount of fear and worry and anxiety. When you go, well, Pastor Jake, that doesn't mean that my circumstances have changed. No, it does not. See, sometimes God changes the circumstances, but I think what he more often does is he changes us. He's the God that is with us in our suffering. He's the God that is with us in the valley of the shadow of death. The presence of God, his closeness, his nearness is our best defense. Psalm 23, 4, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Hebrews 13, 6, we can confidently say the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what can man do to me. Psalm 1611, you make known to me the path of life in your presence There is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. There is no fear in love, 1 John 4, but perfect love drives out fear. I just want to tell you right now, the Bible is filled with Scripture that tells us that fear and worry and anxiety and depression 
do not exist in the heart and the mind of a person that is ruled by the presence of God. And you're not a victim. You're empowered to win in this area. And I pray today that God would open that up and unlock your faith to go, I'm not going to be fierce punk anymore. I'm going to be victorious in God. And some of you guys, maybe you're like, well, Jake, you know, that looks like lame when you're dancing or whatever. I understand it does look lame. Look, it doesn't look cool when you dance. It doesn't look cool when you're humble. What looks, but you know, it also doesn't look cool when your fear and anxiety and worries punk. I'd rather look stupid and be free than look cool and be a slave. So the choice is up to you. So I will worship God with everything I have. I will be like David and I will be more undignified than this because I want to worship God. If it takes me looking stupid or going to my room and dancing before the Lord to be free and not be ruled by worry, then so be it. But God gives us these tools. We review, we refuse, we replace, we get activated in praise and worship and God will move in a powerful way. So I'm praying today that we're delivered of fear and anxiety and worry. And you have to battle this out. It's not something that maybe just is a miracle, like immediately there's no fear or worry. No, you got to do what I'm talking about today. But the tools are right there. If you struggle with anxiety and fear, let Philippians 4, 6 through 9, let that be your daily devotion. Just continue to get God's word into you and it'll reshape and change how you think. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, I thank you today for your word. Thank you for the richness of what you promise us in scripture. And Lord, I thank you that we can choose to be sophisticated in our approaches and think that as modern humans, we have it more figured out than what the saints of old had figured out. But Lord, uh, instead, I just pray that we would be pragmatic and say, what works? How do we beat worry? How do we beat fear? Even in a fearful time that we live in, Lord, how do we not let fear and anxiety and worry rule inside of us, but rather be in charge of, of our thoughts and rule our thoughts in accordance with your word? I pray that today you'd bring freedom and life, deliverance in this area. Lord, I know that so many people are locked into a lifestyle of fear and worry where now we've let fear and worry and anxiety come and live with us in our day-to-day existence, and it doesn't have to be that way. So I pray today for your truth to break through, to be planted in good soil in hearts and minds, and to bring freedom in the name of Jesus. Amen. This morning, if you'd bow your heads and close your eyes, just one last invitation. If you're here today and you say, Pastor Jake, um, I am not a follower of Jesus. I have not put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I want to invite you to begin that journey, to start that journey of following Jesus. If you're here today and you say, Pastor Jake, you know, I need to put my faith in him. I need to give him my life. I just ask that you would lift up your hand. I'm not going to embarrass you or call you out, but if you want to make that choice to follow Jesus today, thank you so much. Just lift up your hand and we're going to pray all together. Thank you. That's awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you. Awesome. Come on. That's great. Anybody else today? Pastor Jake, I want to follow Jesus. I want to be his disciple. I want him to save me from my sin. Anybody else here today? Awesome. Awesome. Okay. Thank you. We're going to pray this prayer together. Repeat after me. Dear Jesus, I give you my life. I put all my faith and trust in you. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sin. Thank you for making a way for me to be right with God. I put my trust and faith in you. I receive your grace and mercy today. I receive you as my Lord and my Savior. In Jesus' name, amen.